Welcome to Empowering Women Through Sports. I am your host, Allison Ferguson. I am often asked, where do I find all of these amazing athletes to interview for my podcast? Most of them I know through my life as an athlete or through a few decades working at Patagonia in the surf, pro, and team divisions. A few athletes were recommendations by fellow athlete friends. This episode, however, is very close to home because we're related. Frances Arnatou is my cousin's daughter. As a family tree goes, that makes her my second cousin. Frances recently graduated from Yale, where she played indoor volleyball as the setter and was honored with some awards that we'll touch on. After graduating, she went on to play pro volleyball in Greece. Now she's delving into the world of music. She sings, plays guitar, writes, and produces under the name of Frances Lee. I'll link her channel on Instagram, EWTSPod, so be sure to follow. Franny's sage counsel is beyond her years, and I think you'll get a lot out of our chat. I catch up with Franny while she's in Ketchum on vacation with her family. Hi! Hi! How are you? I'm awesome. How are you? I'm good. Well, you're in Idaho. How, why couldn't you be? Idaho. I know. It's so fun here in the summer. We're having such a nice time. Oh, that's great. When did you get there? Uh, Saturday. And we've literally just been hiking with the dogs and just hanging. It's so perfect. That's awesome. Are you working right now? Um, I'm doing a little like freelancey social media work for um, some food companies, but I'm, I'm looking for my next real gig. You know, one, I'm just so glad to just see you and talk to you because it's been so long. Yeah, same here. And I just have been thinking about you so much because of this podcast and everything that you've been through. And I'm just ecstatic to be able to get your story. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think it's so awesome that you're doing this podcast too and just highlighting female athletes. And I'm so happy that you thought of me and to be a part of it in a small way. Uh, very cool. I'm beyond excited. And yes, you, I think you're right. The The listeners are going to get a lot out of it. And you're at a an age level that I haven't really reached into yet. You know, a lot of the people are, are the people that I know. Okay. Glad I can represent the Gen Z, the Gen Z <laughs> slash, you know, whatever, whatever awesome. I am. Well, you know, I've been interviewing so many athletes and they share how sports have provided inspiration for achievement in, in all aspects of life and how the sports build community and connection and how to respond to adversity and how sports help prepare for success. And they're so important for women in so many ways. I mean, it builds confidence in life, just confidence in general. And we need that to go for that job or be the best spouse or partner. Um, teaches us how to work together and be on a team and teamwork and a job is so important. Leadership. And when I think about you and your trajectory of everything that you've done, I would love to dip into that and kind of see how that progress went along and hear about some of the stuff that you went through. Totally. Awesome. Well, then, you know, shoot, Francis Arnatou, we're talking about volleyball. Volleyball. So you're yeah, in, I mean, indoor volleyball primarily? Yes. I mean, I've dabbled in beach, but I'm an indoor, indoor girl for sure. Um, and I, obviously, as you know, my mom played growing up a ton and she played mostly beach and then played a little in college too. And 
I remember just in middle school, middle school, I did a million sports, soccer, basketball, karate, everything. And then at some point towards like sixth grade, I was like, I want to be like my mom. I want to play volleyball. And that was, I think, initially a huge reason I decided to sort of commit to volleyball. Um, And then it's like, once you start getting, it's kind of a steep learning curve at first. Once you start getting some of those basic skills down, it just gets so, so fun. And I completely became obsessed and just, you know, enamored by it. How and when did you choose setting? Setting. Well, I, oh my God, I'm so glad I ended up switching. I kind of came in to the sport late relative to my peers in terms of competing really competitively in the club level and stuff. So I was this like utility player. I was, I would play right side and outside and go in as a defensive specialist and literally just do whatever. And then um, a lot of coaches just started noticing in practices that I had good hands as they say, which means like I can, you know, release a clean ball setting and I wasn't going to get that much taller. So luckily I had coaches that were willing to train me in setting way later than you would normally start. It's a pretty complex position technique wise and strategy wise. Um, And so I think my sophomore year in high school, I officially switched, which was super late, especially for recruiting and everything. But I'm so glad I switched. I mean, it's, it's a very cerebral position. You have a lot of control over the game. It comes with a ton of pressure, but also it's, I don't know. It's, I really, really, I love it. It's like a puzzle. It's, it's like being a quarterback or a point guard. You really kind of run the show, which is fun. Well, what are you five ten? Yeah. I'm, well, I'm five eleven on the roster, but I think I'm like five, nine and a half, five ten, probably. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I was five, seven on the roster. <laughs> yeah. The roster is just never accurate. I was joking with someone the other day though. I'm like, I'm taller than my sister. I'm nearly taller than my brother, way taller than my mom. And I swear in high school, I went to bed every night and I just said, just grow, just grow, just grow, grow a little. Like, I think I manifested an extra inch somewhere in there somehow. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, you know, we were coming off the Olympics and watching all of that and, you know, listening to the commentators. As you know, I played volleyball as well. And I was just listening Mm -hmm. and I was a setter too. And they're just saying, oh, that person look, you know, the outside hitter crushing the ball. Oh, another kill, another kill. Yet they don't focus much on how the hitter got the ball. Yeah, how do you totally. Think that play was set up. So can you tell us what happens in a, in a point? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's interesting. Cause I feel like I can answer this question much better after playing overseas one year, cause at the international level and what Jordan Poulter did as a 24, 25 year old, she was sorry, the starting setter for the women's indoor team who won a gold um, in Tokyo. Um, yeah, at the international level, it's in, in it's incredibly complex position. So basically what she's, she's, she's obviously done a lot of scouting before the game, but in game, she's running up to the net there, her passers passing the ball to her and she's quickly turning her head to check where, if the blocker has taken a step either way, and she's making a literal millisecond decision to, you know, shoot the ball either to the outside or to the right side or go with her middle So there's some game plan going in. We want to set our middles early and then open up the pins later so that the blocker has to stay with them. But then a lot of it is, is in the moment, um, having really good vision. Uh, and then, you know, at the end of the day, if you have a hitter like Jordan Larson, who's just doing great and is hot, you kind of can just feed her, which is always fun when you're in rhythm with a hitter. But 
I don't know if that was a coherent answer at all. What Jordan Poulter did in the Olympics was unbelievable at her age. And I don't think most setters at that level care for any credit. I mean, she she's probably happy for the hitters to be the shining stars. Um, she's just such a winner. And But at the same time, as someone who knows and loves the sport and knows the position, they win because Jordan Poulter has a great tournament, period. Like, they really did, which is awesome. Oh, that's neat. Relating to you and your path with that. So the setter's the playmaker. And are you coming into a huddle after each point saying what the play is going to be? Or does everyone have a, like they're going to hit a one, a two, an X, a outside, back, whatever. They're ready for that ball, no matter where the ball goes. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's a mixture. Like, it's it's a little different. It's not like football where the quarterback comes in and has a playbook and it's it's um like I will tell the hitters what they're hitting in serve receive if we're if we're being served at. And then they usually all know what set they're hitting throughout the rest of the play. Um and then there are other scenarios, like if we get a really easy free ball from the other team, which means they they have to bump it over as opposed to hit it, that we might have a special play set up for that scenario. Um but I, I, I have to say it's, it's, and maybe this, this is different at the very, very tip top high levels. I, it's less about like switching up what they're hitting a lot and more about me seeing where the block has stepped and going the other way and a hitter being able to terminate with a hole between two blockers or, you know, some, or going off the blockers hands and things like that. So in that sense, it's it's a little bit of both, I would say. It's play calling, but it's also just making good decisions in the play with what you you plan to run. Sweet. So you're setting it sophomore in high school, and and at what point did you start? Well, I mean, you're looking at colleges and things like that. I mean, sorry, no one gets into Yale. Uh, in my no world. one gets and- into <laughs> Yale. No, I mean, I don't even know how I ended up there. It's crazy. Yeah. You got into Yale. I'm sure you had the grades and the, and the volleyball. Yeah. I mean, honestly, and it was at the time, a real dream come true. It's funny once you end up there and there you're, you know, it's, it's where you go to school, it starts to feel normal. But when I was a sophomore, I was hoping I could get to D3 school. I didn't even know if D1 was in the um, realm of possibility I think I did benefit from the fact that I started late in the sense that coaches were seeing where I was and I might have been a little less polished than my competition, but they were like, she started so late. There's a lot of upside there, stuff like that. Um, But yeah, I think Ivy was really the goal. And then a a couple bigger programs, ACC, Pac-12 came knocking late and I was really close to going that route. But I think at the end of the day, what drew me to Yale I was so excited that they wanted me, but, um, was that, you know, it's a little less intense in the off season just due to the restrictions that the Ivy league has. So I think you have the opportunity to, to do more things. And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it. I was really involved in acapella there and a lot of other things. And I just felt like I would be able to do the D one thing, but also have a more well-rounded experience. And I think that's, it ended up being the perfect place for me in that sense. What is what is your major? What are you thinking of studying? Or will you go on to do what you studied in, at Yale? So, yeah, I ended up majoring in history. Um, Yale doesn't have a lot of 
pre-professional majors. There's no business major. There's no journalism major because it's so focused on liberal arts. And I think their philosophy is that we're teaching kids how to learn and they can go get on job training and whatever they choose to do, which is, I think, great because I ended up getting to study history for four years and not feel like I was pigeon pigeonholing myself into becoming a professor or anything like that. Um, and I loved it. And the professors at Yale are exceptional in that field. And I got to write a 50 page thesis on uh, gold miners in California. And it's so random, but you know, a lot of the skills I've learned in being a history major are very transferable, doing good research, writing well, formulating an argument. Um, so yeah, I, I loved it, but I'm not going to be a history professor. I don't, I don't necessarily know what I will do, but, um, not, not anything related to that. Oh, I love that. You're going to have such a, uh, you have a history major, but yet you could go into, you know, with all your networking finance, or you could go into, um, right. Right. Which is pretty that. awesome. And many of my friends followed those exact paths and it, I think it's great. I think it's great because you have your whole life to figure out the career side of things, but it's pretty cool to be an undergrad and just study something you're passionate in. Oh, that's great. Um, let's see, uh, COVID hit, but from what I understand, there were some awards you were you won and you were going to oh. be acknowledged for them and all that. Can you tell me about some of the the fabulous, I don't know, the rewards that you got from volleyball? Sure. I Honestly, and it's funny, and this is going to sound so cliche, but I, I was surprised every time I was given those types of accolades. Um, my junior year, I won player of the year in the Ivy League. I, I wasn't, I actually got alerted to it prematurely by a, an opponent, someone that played for Penn, because she was involved in the Ivy League something. And she messaged me and she goes, congrats. And I go, what did I like, did I maybe make first team this year? And she goes, no, you were player of the year. And I was, I seriously was shocked. I, I, I mean, we had, we had a great year, but I wasn't expecting it at all. Um, and this is also a cliche, but I just remember feeling like it was a complete team award. Like we had such a good roster that year. We were such a cohesive unit and you just like a setter doesn't win that award unless she has great passers and great hitters. So it was an honor, but I did, I, I really did feel like I shared it with my teammates and then the other, I guess the other big one was the Nellie Pratt Elliott Award, which is given out by Yale, not not the Ivy League, but Yale specifically. And it's, I wish I knew the exact definition, but it's sort of for like the, the female athlete in the senior class, the graduating class who excelled most on and off the court um, also was not expecting that. I shared it with a fantastic women's soccer player who's now playing professionally overseas and yeah, I mean, I think it it had to do with what I mentioned earlier, that I, I had a great career on the court, but I was also involved in a lot of other stuff outside and, and you know, had pretty good grades in the classroom. So I don't know. I, I was very, very honored and very surprised by it, but definitely um, cool to be recognized. And I think my, the coolest part about it for me is I think my parents are just so, were so proud and it, I love seeing them, you know feel like they did a good job. So <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> That's, we, we adore our, our children. Yeah. Which is well, a good thing. Lucky yeah, us. Yeah, no doubt. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about since we're on the, the path, uh, this acapella group. Can you tell us about that? 
Yeah. So honestly, the coolest, one of the coolest things I did there. Um, so I came in and I was, I remember my freshman year, I was just always singing on the bus in the locker room, like to the point where there were a few seniors that were like, Franny, you got it. Like you're, it's getting annoying, like stop uh, in a friend, totally friendly way. But at, at some points in or early in the fall, someone goes there, they started an all athlete acapella group last year. You should totally try out. And I was like, no way. Um, and I go and I'm terrified and I prepared my little Amy Winehouse song and they gave me this little elevator pitch about them. And they said, look, acapella is very big deal here at Yale, but it's really hard for us athletes who love music to participate because of the scheduling. I mean, doing an intense acapella group at Yale is like doing a sport at Yale. I mean, you, it's a lot. Um, so they said, we decided to start this two years ago or last year as a way for athletes who like to sing to participate. Um, and it was like a football player, um, a women's hockey player, a men's baseball player, women's lacrosse player. And they're all sitting there and I sang and, and I thankfully got in and I was so excited and I made all these friends and, and then like the rest was history. It was a huge part of my, my four years there. And we would um, rehearse twice a week and we would do usually a show or two a semester, which was the, we would perform in these, you know, um, like lecture halls and they'd be filled with all the teams that had athletes in the group and like the rowdiest acapella show you can imagine because it's like teams cheering as if they're at a sporting event. Um, yeah, I know. And it was just such a great release to do that twice a week and to just sing and to be around other people who loved music and to share all of our sort of passion for, for music with our peers. Um, super special. What were you guys called? Oh yeah. Sorry. We were called the unortho jocks. <laughs> Very punny. Yeah. And it was so fun. And we used to sing national anthems that we sang at a couple of our games, men's basketball games. It was awesome. And I, I will say we were the community, the athlete community at Yale really loved us, which was always a nice feeling. Oh, that is so fun. Can you sing just like a one little thing? I'm trying to think what songs, well, I ha it's funny cause I don't have a guitar here with me, but I did I did try to get an instrumental from one of these songs. Here, I'll do a little bit for you. Yeah, so I wrote this one right before I left Greece. Um, and it's kind of about coming home. And it's, it's, I definitely have my mother in mind when I was writing it. But I wish I had my guitar. I apologize that this is not full, fully live. Headed west, headed west, back to you. Kissing your cheek feels like Kissing my youth, headed west to get back to you. Where the land is vast and it paints our past as the city hums along to old favorite songs. I can nearly taste moments from when I was young. Headed west, headed west, back to you. Kissing your cheek feels like kissing my youth. Headed west to get back to you. All right, I'll stop there. <laughs> I don't know how the audio was there. Oh my gosh. No, that audio was great. That sounded so good. And it just, 
gosh, it's opening so many more questions. So you're on the unorthodox and were you a tenor or a, I, mean, I was a alto. Yeah. I have very little knowledge of music theory to be totally honest, but I was an alto, which is the lower women's voice. And I kind of learned all the songs by ear. You know, I didn't, I wasn't involved in a lot of the like arranging and all of that, but you know, it was so, so fun. So great. Oh my gosh. That's fantastic. Okay. So you're, you're on the unorthodox, you're doing this acapella playing volleyball. That's a very full life. Love this. Full. Yes. And then anyway, I'll start with the, the Greece thing. So you're, you graduate from Yale, COVID hits. How do you play on a professional volleyball team in Greece and where in Greece and all that? Yeah. So pre-COVID, I decided I wanted to try to play one year or at least one year pro. Um, so I made my little highlight reel. I got an agent and and it ended up working out great because once COVID happened, you know, a lot of my friends had the unfortunate reality of having to work from home and start new jobs in their bedrooms. And I think that was really challenging for people, but I luckily had this opportunity, really luckily had this opportunity to go be abroad and, and play. Um, and I didn't feel ready to give up sports. I felt like there, I had more in the tank. I had, you know, more to learn and I wanted to keep doing it. So I was super happy to make a roster. It's, it's very atypical from the Ivy league to play pro. I think a few people have done it for sure. I'm not the first, but it's not the common path at all. Most Ivy league volleyball players go into investment banking or consulting right away, which, you know, no, no hate on that. <laughs> no hate at all. That's a very strategic and smart decision in its own way. Um, but yeah, so I, I August after graduating, got on a plane, one-way ticket to Athens, was sobbing, was terrified. I was like, what have I gotten myself into? Um, and I showed up and the town I lived in was called, called Markopolo. And it's actually right where the Athens airport is, but it's about 30 minutes from central center city, Athens. And it's, it's a village. I mean, it's a, it's a very small town. Um, yeah. And so then I was over there and I lived over there for seven months. Um, and I don't know, I can elaborate on whichever aspects of it are most interesting, but it was a total year of, of personal growth and growth as an athlete. And also luckily, I mean, randomly, it ended up being the time in my life when I had the most time to do music too, because I wasn't an undergrad anymore. I wasn't running around to classes. So in between practices or before practices, I had a chunk of the day where I was, I could sit and I could write and I could record. So weirdly, it, although I was you know, playing professionally, it was the first time in my life where I got to really commit considerable energy to both things. Wow. Were you ever considering trying out for the Olympic team or is that something that they handpick? It's, it's more handpicky. I think I was in the pipeline earlier. So I was in my career, like when I was about 16, 17, I was on junior national training team and I was right up there. I think it's really hard in the Ivy League to stay on their radar. They're looking more Pac-12, Big Ten, SEC, ACC. And it's kind of like, I, I don't know if this is a helpful analogy, but I feel like by playing pro, I like made an NBA roster. The Olympic team is like LeBron and KB. You know, I it's 
the level of those women in terms of skill and technique is, and there it's just another planet. Um, I think if, if, if I had, if I really wanted to pursue it, I'd have to play overseas for at least five to 10 more years. That's the other thing about volleyball is the best players in the world are in their late twenties, early thirties, because it's not a sport of massive physical exertion. It's a sport really of strategy and technique and vision and IQ. So the best setters especially are, I mean, with the exception of Jordan Poulter, who happens to be young, most of the best setters in the world are in their thirties. Um, so I, and I, and I don't see myself playing that late. So I don't have real Olympic aspirations at all. Um, but I obviously sobbed when they won gold and I'm so, so happy for that, for USA volleyball and so inspired by them and honored to have played on the same court as some of the future Olympians for sure. And some of the people on that team, uh, they're also playing overseas in Europe. It's really pro volleyball is very popular in Europe, right? Yeah, that's really the, I mean, they're trying to start something in the U S and AVP for beach is big in the U S but in terms of the best pro volleyball, it's Italy, Turkey, France, Germany, really. And then there's really good volleyball in, uh, South Korea and Japan. So, and you know, that's where you play if you're playing pro. The the women's roster, national team roster, it's probably split up between France, Italy, Turkey, and certain Asian countries. And they all all play overseas for sure. Wow. Yeah. All right. So on the volleyball court, um, I want to talk a little bit about nerves and uh, the jitters, the yips, the, I mean, it's a lot of pressure. Totally. How do you, How do you manage that? Gosh, it's a great question and an interesting one because I think if you had asked me that while I was still at Yale, I would have, I don't even know what I would have said. I I didn't really deal with intense performance anxiety until pro. Um, And it was like, I didn't even know what it would feel like. There were times, I guess, to give context where I would be on the court and I'd be like, I don't think I can set this ball without doubling or I don't think I can serve this ball in the court. These basic things that I could do in my sleep, I felt incapable of doing because of the psychological side. And it's a horrible feeling because you, I mean, you lose control of these basic skills and, and for, for why for anxiety, but um, I did have to really fight to work through it. And I think some of the ways I did that, um, were literally things like meditating and deep breathing before games. A lot of it was in the moment, just positive self-talk. So there were, when I was having a tough game, I would literally before every whistle, I would say, you are a great setter in my head, or sometimes even quietly out loud. You're a great setter. You're a great setter. You're great. And it's like, I'm just trying to send myself that message. And, and I actually really, I mean, by the end of the season, I think I had fought through a lot of that anxiety just because, you know, the pressure was a lot higher in the, at the pro level. And I think it, I, I didn't really know what I was in for initially. And then I, I got a lot better at coping with it towards the end. One other thing I think helped that helped a lot is if I felt like I was anxious about a game or nervous about a game, I would stay late and get extra reps and knowing like going into the game and knowing that I did everything to prepare, um, gave me a lot more confidence too, because at some point you just have to say, I did 
I put in the work beforehand and I'm just going to have to accept the outcome and play loose and play free. Um, so those are some of the things that help me. But I mean, that when I watch these women that are competing at the Olympic level in volleyball, but really in any sport or at the pro level, I, I really am in awe even more so now because I cannot imagine when you're getting big contracts and you have fans and you have people that it's gosh, it's really gnarly. And I, I don't know. I think that those women that succeed at that level and play at that level have to be so mentally tough. Yeah. That's the, that being in the present is the hard part, right? Cause mm. it's so easy to have the, you know, whether it's fans or it's, you know, teammates or someone on the other side of the court getting on your skin or something. And then you have to, you have to shut all that out and just, you know, be in the present. Totally. Billie Jean King, she says, she has a quote, she says, pressure is a privilege. Mm. Can you speak to that? You know, it's funny. My, my Yale coach used to say that a lot. Um, Cause our team, you know, had a lot of success in the last decade and, people expected us to win always. My coach would say pressure is a privilege. And I totally bought into that. I mean, I think to, for people to believe, I think pressure to an extent is derived from people believing in you and believing in your capability to win. And that's a blessing in and of itself. And that's something, you know, that, that a team or an individual um, should be grateful for. And maybe, and, and maybe that's the key, I guess, is like looking at, at pressure as an opportunity to, you know, um, meet expectations rather than a negative thing or something that should cause stress. I mean, it's obviously easier said than done. Um, and I think it requires a lot of belief in, in oneself and confidence, but gosh, to, to have the opportunity to be in a championship match where there's a lot of pressure and to be playing sports like that is, it's a beautiful thing. It's a totally beautiful thing. Well, those relationships become so deep when you're on a team and you're fighting for the goal and the friendships and the community that is built. It's from that time together. It's so deep and super meaningful. Can you yes. speak to that or how do those connections help you on and off the court and in your life? God, yes. I know. I, I totally agree. I think there are a few times in my life where I've felt as deep of bonds as I've felt from volleyball and on my team's just because you really are in the trenches and you see each other through the entire process. You, at least in terms of Yale, like you come in the middle of August, it's humid and sweaty and you practice together every day for four months. And yes, it's great, you know, or it's great to have each other to lean on in those championship matches and those final battles. But I think the reason that you're able to look each other in the eyes and believe and support each other is because of those practices three months prior where you're, you know, sweating and running around. So I don't know. I think that there's something really honestly magical about that. And some of my teammates from Yale and also in Greece, I have real, I really, and as cliche as it sounds, have unbreakable bonds with because you go, you totally go through it together and you have to lean on each other through, through that. And I think, I think some of my tightest relationships came when I started to be more honest about performance anxiety and nerves and things like that. And when I was, when I learned, I think matured and was able to confide in certain teammates and say, Hey, like, I know I seem super confident, but I am so scared for this match. I'm, I don't know. I, I'm very nervous and they can look you in the eyes and say, dude, 
thanks for telling me I'm super nervous too, by the way, it might not seem like it, but I am. And then in the game, you can look to that one person and they can just give you a, a look or a, like, you know, a squeeze on the arm or whatever. Um, I feel really indebted to those people and very close to those people. And I guess that's sort of a life lesson. I think being vulnerable and honest about whatever it is you're going through with teammates, whether that's a teammate in sports or a teammate at work or a teammate in your family, like it, it only serves to bring you closer to them, um, which is, I think, really powerful. Uh, that's amazing. How old are you? 23. Okay. Uh, I am learning so much from you. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. This is awesome. I love it. Such fresh eyes. Um, so from all this that you've been through and your teammates and the lessons that you've learned through volleyball, has that transferred into your music, that confidence or that thought of being able to, to go for it. And if you, if, if you fail, you know, you can pick yourself up again. You know, it's funny. I'm sure it has in subconscious ways, at least like in my head, I always saw music as so separate from volleyball because I think it was in some ways an escape or in a release, a release. Like it was a way for me to completely get away from the stresses of the sport, or the, the, whatever. Um, but I don't, I think that, that volleyball has affected my approach to everything, whether I'm aware of it or not. I mean, I, I really think it does, whether that's how I relate to people I'm working with or whether that's how I'm approaching self betterment generally. Um, I think I'm pretty methodical. I think that I know you have to put in time and hours to things to get better at them. And I, and I, and I, I'm not sure I would have internalized that without volleyball and sports, but I'm definitely never consciously comparing the two. And I, I, I don't, you know, I don't write about volleyball. I don't think about volleyball when I'm singing. And I think that's kind of healthy. I think that I needed that at times. Uh, but yeah, to, just to answer your question, I think that sports and volleyball has, it has formed who I am just in everything. Oh, that's amazing. Well, in your music, um, I've been following along on your YouTube channel and uh, I think I subscribed. Yes, I did. Quinn said I did. <laughs> um, but I would like to hear about that. I want to share that with our listeners. I want them to listen as well. I mean, yes, we're talking a little bit, oh, you know, Francis Arnatou, she sings. You don't just sing. You are producing music. You have a YouTube channel. You're you're going somewhere with this, I can tell. And how how do we listen and and um, tap into that? Yeah. Um, I yeah, and I don't know exactly where I'll go with it or if it'll be a long-term career pursuit, but I, I as I mentioned earlier, I think Greece provided this amazing seven-month period of time where I could really focus on my own stuff and write a lot of my own stuff and record a lot of it. And now that I'm back in the States and collaborating with some really talented musicians, I'm, I, I'm having songs that are polished and ready to be released. A couple of them are already out. I'm on all platforms under the artist named Francis Lee, L-E-E. -E. Um, and it's been so, it's been a really rewarding thing because I've, I've always written and I've always sang, but I've always been very hesitant and scared to share it. Uh, so now that it's out, it's it's really special to to just get feedback from family and friends and sometimes even random people I don't know. 
Uh, and I'm, I'm basically working on a little EP now. Well, I'm, it's finished, but I'm polishing up an EP, which is primarily songs I wrote when I was over in Greece. So that'll come out sometime in the fall. And um, I hope everyone listens to it. Francis Lee, it'll be out everywhere. Uh, and then we'll see where, where and if I go any further with it. But it, music will always be a part of my life, whether I'm, you know, producing and releasing or not, which is I, I'm very grateful for. Well, the benefit of social media and the technology today is you produce something, it it can make you money uh, just by like, I don't know, just catching a wave of interest or totally. someone wants to pick it up for a movie or, you know, the exposure totally. seems to be so much more tangible. Right. And I think there's that art, artists have a lot more autonomy now because a technologies, I can take a microphone over to Greece and sit with my laptop and record a song. I don't need to be in a studio and pay for studio time. B, I think a lot of these labels are realizing that a 17 year old can write a song and put it on TikTok and become world famous in three days. So they no longer have the leverage they used to have, which is awesome. I mean, I think there's still a lot of work to be done in the industry in terms of artist compensation and things like that. I'm not even, I'm not an expert on this. Um, but I do think we're in a really cool moment where there's more power um, with the artists, which I think is, that's where we should want to go with that, you know? Well, listening to you, you're such an amazing blend of art and sport. I'm lucky. You know, I will say thank thank you, but I will say I, I have to credit especially my mom, but my parents for just being so encouraging of all my interests and passions and pursuits and, you know, giving me guitar lessons when I was six and, and driving me to a million club volleyball turn. I mean, it's not like this would be my current reality would be possible without incredibly supportive and yeah, I mean, amazing parents. So I'm lucky. Wow. You are so gracious. I love it. They are the best. They deserve it. <laughs> so, all right. Well, we touched a little bit on it, but what's next? Or do you have any insights to share with other young athletes and musicians? Well, what to the first one, what's next? That is the question. I mean, like all summer I've been getting asked that and I don't really know. I, I, I was um, considering one more year overseas if I could get a contract in France and I, I ended up getting offers in a lot of different countries, not France. Um, so I think I'm going to hang it up, which is bittersweet, but I feel like I feel good about it. I feel ready for something new and something different. And I also, it's really tough to be overseas and in Europe and far from everyone. So I'm, I'm probably finished with volleyball, but I don't know what I will be doing. Um, so figuring that out currently, just looking for jobs, but also thinking about what, you know, industry I want to be in and stuff like that. And then in terms of advice for young athletes, slash, yeah, I think it's interesting. I used to, when people would ask me this, like when I'd go back to my old club or whatever, I used to always say, be as obsessed with volleyball as you can. I think because I was very obsessed with it, I watched a lot of highlight reels of setters and international footage. And, and I really was so fascinated by the sport. And I think that's how, you know, I think that's how sports grow. Like if you think about 
basketball, NBA, WNBA, or, or soccer, like people, that people are so obsessed with those sports, especially athletes, that it sort of propels the sport forward a lot. And I, I, I don't know that I'm saying volleyball, volleyball players aren't obsessed with it, but I, I, I always used to give that advice. And I don't necessarily think it's bad advice, but I think the one caveat I'd add is like, you know, there's a level of obsession that is unhealthy. And I think as important as it is to be engaged in your sport and wanting to learn about it, I think young athletes should also try to nurture other interests, like whether that's music or cooking or something academic, because A, it provides an outlet, but as sort of, as you mentioned earlier, Ali, like it, it also, there's a lot of crossover between other hobbies and activities and it's just good to I don't know to to strengthen different muscles because sports and unfortunately can go away in this in a split second and I don't know I think it's really healthy and and powerful to have other interests and passions running in the background or alongside them. That's fantastic you said something about obsessions uh and your obsession with LeBron James Oh boy. It's so funny. This always ends up coming up. I guess I bring it on. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, yeah, he, he's been provided a huge amount of inspiration for me as an athlete over my career. Like there was a time when I would literally say things he would say in post games in huddles, or like I would adopt his pregame rituals. Like I just, I thought he, I think Sash thought he was the pinnacle of sports, which arguably he is. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I guess I'm somewhat of an obsessive person, which you could, you could label it obsessed, obsessive, or you could label it passionate, but definitely a huge LeBron fan. I would say that's a pretty big part of my personality. (laughs) That's great. Well, it's all positive. It's all inspiration. You're, you're just pulling that and pulling it into your own life and making it work for you. Exactly. I'll share on the website and on Insta and everything, I think there's a link to where you actually get to reach over in the stands and he, he sees you, he shakes your hand, he, t- whatever he, and I want to share that. That's just it's <laughs> the look on your it's face. pretty sweet. Oh my God. Yeah. He gave me a big hug. I was 16. Thank God my mother had her iPhone ready because that video has made its rounds on the internet. It has been seen by quite a few people, but I mean, I, I'm, it's funny and it's hilarious, but it's also really a sweet moment. And I love that so many people have seen it because I think it portrays him in a really good light. I mean, he is super kind to fans and he goes out of his way to make people feel seen and appreciated. And I don't know. I love that video for that reason. Cause it, I think he is a really great guy. And that's sweet. That's awesome. Well, thanks again, Franny. This was awesome. I, your time, your nuggets of uh, n- the knowledge that you're dropping with us here is uh, beyond your years, I'll say. Thank you. That's very nice. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Give Love Quinn you. a hug for me. Love you too. That was awesome. One of the many takeaways I have from this interview is how gracious Frances Arnatu is. Giving credit to her teammates, coaches, her parents, and those who have helped her succeed along the way. Some nuggets she shares really hit home with me, like, pressure is an opportunity to meet expectations, rather than a negative thing that would cause stress. And that when you know you have prepared and put the hard work in beforehand, 
you are more able to accept the outcome. She says, sports teach us life lessons. Being vulnerable and honest about whatever it is you're going through, whether it's with teammates on the court or a teammate at work or within your family, it only serves to bring you closer to them. And that is empowering. Music for this podcast is created and produced by Gary Ferguson. Creative consultants, Tony Ferguson and Quinn Ferguson. You can find a library of episodes and other information on the web at empoweringwomenthroughsports.com. We're on Instagram, too, at EWTSpod. Or find us on your favorite listening platform, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you hear an inspiring episode, share it with your friends, and let's grow our community of empowering women through sports. Thanks for listening.